Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. In this six-part series, Business of Science, we're investigating how scientists can commercialise their research. Last week, we looked at those crucial first steps of building a living, thriving startup, from knowing your idea is worth you investing all this effort in, to convincing others that your idea is worth investing their money in. But this is only the very beginning of the journey. Once the convincing is underway, there's a slew of technical matters to consider. And these are a very different type of technical problem than what you may have come across during research. Here's Vai Vu, a science entrepreneur based in Germany, who we heard from in the last episode. It's not enough to only be research people to commercialize something, because you have to also have the economic people. Um, you have to have somebody who knows all the laws involved in this. And especially in Germany, there are so many laws regarding taxes, for example. Vai is Chief Operating Officer, COO, at HelioHeat, commercialising a solar power technology she worked on during her PhD. Throughout this series, we'll be hearing the experiences of scientists who've gone commercial, like Vai, as well as experts giving their tips on all the steps along the way. Perhaps one of the most crucial yet complex steps is the patent. Patents give that seal of approval that your product is a true innovation and that reassurance that the innovation is your property. Javier Garcia Martinez is founder of Rive Technology, which uses nanotechnology to improve catalysts. And for him, receiving a patent felt like a momentous occasion. To get your first patent is an amazing feeling because you realize that you have made something with the practical usage. I mean, it's going to be used and and it was an U.S. patent. So I remember that piece of paper with a golden seal and a red ribbon. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, document and a feeling of uh, achievement. Javier is not alone in seeing landing your first patent as a special moment in your career. Patrick Ancatil moved from Paris to the United States, where he shifted his career from the academic to the business world. Now he's founder and CEO of bioengineering company Portal Instruments, producing a needle-free technology for the injection of medications. He had an almost mythical idea of what a patent meant. 
the way a pattern is described in France is, well, you know, it's almost like an act of God. You know, someone had a, an inspiration and, uh, and basically, uh, you know, it's just a one-of-a-kind thing. And, and what you learn, actually, it's, it's absolutely not the case. In practice, having an idea that is patent-worthy and making the claim to actually receive that patent are somewhat more down-to-earth. Like everything else in a career, be that an academic or business career, there are skills and strategies involved. Really, I think one one area that always has fascinated me is the, um, how you construct claims, right? What do you want to defend in that invention? That's the number one question that you should ask when you write a patent and how you construct claims to make them you know, as broad as possible, but also as defensible as possible. Uh, that to me is, is still, I think, I think there's something beautiful about that. But not everything has the same significance to every business person. For Vi, who we heard from earlier, getting a patent was more a matter of bureaucracy and patience than a moment of jubilation. It is at the patent authority and then it lies there for like, I don't know, two or three years or something. And then at the end you get it, either the patent or not. So it's not actually a really big event for, for us so far. Even if the moment wasn't such a big deal for Vi, the patent itself still was. That's because patents do still have a great deal of significance when you're setting up your business. It is really important for investors though. So um, that's, that's some of the main things they look in your pitch deck and also in a pitch, what is your USP? And most of the time, one of your USPs should be a patent. So patents can be many things, from a career highlight to a business USP, or unique selling proposition. But what do you actually need to know about the practicalities of getting the patent? I spoke with Tamzen Valois, a patent lawyer at the firm Bulwer and Valois in Houston, Texas. Tamzen, like many of the people we're speaking to in this podcast series, made a career transition of her own. She hasn't always been in law. Her background is in molecular biology. And for Tamzen, the transition has been a positive one. Um, well, I had bad dreams because I thought if I became a lawyer, people wouldn't respect me anymore. And um, <laughs> it turns out that's true. <laughs> but, you know, leaving your PhD behind and doing something like law seems like, I think we all think it's really such a waste. But in fact, I get to do a lot more variety of different scientific topics now than I did as a, as a scientist. As a PhD, I felt like I knew more about next to nothing than anyone in the world, but it, it, it's more satisfying to me to sort of invert that knowledge pyramid. By inverting that knowledge pyramid, Tamzen has learnt a great deal about many fields of science, as well as patent law, of course. So when we spoke on the phone, we started at the beginning with what a patent actually is. A patent is a document that gives you the legal right to exclude others from making, using, or selling what is a, whatever is covered by the claims of that patent. There are also different kinds of patents. There are patents for designs. Uh, there are patents for plants, although that doesn't come up too often in my business. And there are patents for uh, what we call a utility patent in the United States, and those cover um, basically any articles of manufacture and or any methods of manufacturing. A patent only covers the country in which it is filed. So if you want protection in countries outside of your home country, you would need to file patent applications in each country that you're interested in. How important would you say it is 
to get that patent for that product uh, for the future of a, a company that's starting up? Oh, for a startup, I think that patenting is very essential. And the reason is, is that uh, there will come a day when you start to get funding from venture capitalists and other other sources of capital. And for them, it's going to be a check the box issue. They don't necessarily want to invest in a startup that doesn't have some kind of patent protection. That doesn't mean that your patents have to be issued, um, but you should at least file for them. So really pretty critical. Now, I understand that the first thing to do isn't actually the, the full patent application itself. That's correct. In the United States, we have something called a provisional application, which only lasts for a year and never issues into a patent, but it holds your date and gets you a sort of a starting product in the patent office. I'm less familiar with uh, rules outside the US, but the reason that we have a provisional application is that most countries allow you to file first in the home country and then file internationally. Now, something that is separate but overlapping with patents is the PCT. Can you explain what this actually is for and, well, also what PCT stands for? Yeah, the PCT stands for Patent Cooperation Treaty. It is a treaty with about 160 member countries that have signed on to, and what they have done is agree to honor a PCT application as a placeholding application um, so that you can delay your foreign filing um, requirements for as much as two and a half years. Ultimately, in the long run, it will cost more. So if in that year and a half, you can still only file US, um, it may not have been a wise choice to file PCT. That said, almost all clients file PCT because they expect to have money in a year and a half. It allows you to maintain your options for a little longer. The disadvantage of the PCT is it's $4,000 and it never gives you a patent, right? It's just a placeholder. Now, uh, when it comes to actually making the formal patent application, what evidence needs to be included? That will vary depending on the technology. In a technology art like biotech, which is difficult. <laughs> you're going to need a little bit more evidence and or data. If you're doing a simple mechanical device, you don't really need anything except good drawings. Data probably will not be required. So it's a sliding scale depending on how predictable the technology is. The less predictable the technology, the more actual data and or evidence of functionality you are going to need. What are some common mistakes that you see being made in these applications? Mistakes in applications is not something that I can speak to. Patent lawyers write applications, and so we hope we're not making mistakes. <laughs> we do make mistakes, but we, we, you don't find out about it until 10 years later when the patent is being litigated. <laughs> but in terms of strategy, certainly there are mistakes. And one thing that a startup will do... Uh, first of all, you should always start with a provisional application or whatever your local country equivalent of that is, because why throw away a year of free patent term? I, not in the application itself, but what do um, companies or individuals fail to think about before maybe they even start speaking to a patenting lawyer? Poke around a bit and see what patents are out there. Um, find the closest prior art and have a have a read. Um, and that will give you a, just a better idea of what you're up against. Uh, and it'll, it'll allow you to be a little better prepared by the time you see a patent attorney. And the more prepared you are, um, the, you know, the less 
cost you're going to run up. Now, of course, the patents don't come for free and they don't cover all countries. How should companies weigh this balance up uh, when choosing when and where to patent their products? Yeah, a simple rule of thumb that I usually tell clients is that a patent will cost $20,000 per country over its lifespan. Um, but over the lifetime, it's certainly going to add up to 20K. So you really have to think, um, as a startup, am I going to have that kind of money? Am I going to have 20K per country at the deadline for me to file uh, foreign filing? Think ahead as well about an overall patent strategy. You do have to know the timelines a little bit to plan a strategy and realistically estimate how much money you're going to have at the various dates and plan your patent strategy in advance. For example, medical devices, you may file a broad patent application at the beginning, um, but you're typically, your first application won't really be that detailed and it won't really uh, direct to a particular medical device. Medical devices tend to evolve fairly quickly. And if you start your patent application process and request not to publish, you have a little bit more leeway down the road to patent the improvements. Are there any important differences that people should be mindful of in the processes uh, and how they differ between countries? Yes, I would say the most important difference has to do with prior art. In the United States, you've always been able to do a little bit of publishing and then still file a patent application within one year. And most countries don't allow that. So in most places, you have to file a patent application before you do anything else. Uh, that is a common mistake that many clients make, uh, particularly in the academic sciences where the drive to publish is fairly high. They will typically create their own worst prior art, and very often through grant applications and or posters done at conferences. So uh, I think it's important to be aware that grant applications can be obtained under the Freedom of Information Act in the United States. And so uh, in the, if you're doing US grant applications, you need to designate um, anything technologically relevant to your patent as confidential, so that does not go out in a Freedom of Information Act request. Um, and outside the U.S., you just want to get something on file, publication, uh, a patent application on file before you do any publication. The patent process can be a pretty lengthy process, but of course, in some industries, things move incredibly quickly. For example, in tech, how should companies in these industries be thinking about patenting? There's Basic technology in, in IT, really fundamental basic stuff that you do want to file patent applications on. Um, and there is incremental improvements that you may just want to get out the door quickly and not file an application on because of the cost, the $20,000 extra cost. If you're a big company with a lot of funds, you can file patents on everything. If you're a startup, you need to be perhaps a little more judicious in IT. Sometimes the lesser important inventions you just can't afford to file and so you don't. But certainly you would file on any basic fundamental technology. That was Tamzen Valois. Now, look, all of this might sound a little overwhelming, especially if you're still an academic starting out on your business journey. 
It's important to get some help, so wouldn't it be great if universities and other academic institutions had some kind of office to help you transfer your research to the commercial world? Well, luckily, that is exactly what they have. And in the next episode, we're going to be talking all about technology transfer offices and how they can get you started on the journey to make business out of your research. Don't miss that discussion. This has been Working Scientist and Nature Careers podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Levy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.